Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Someday when I retire from radio, my speech will go something like this. I'd like to thank the disc jockeys I listened to growing up. The Jay Bird, Jay Flannery, Danson, Danny Wright. And uh, Jeff Davis from WLS Chicago. Rick Dees! What would my career have been without Rick Dees? And of course, the, the sportscasters that, I, that were my role models. JT the Brick, Big Joe McDonald. And oh, there was, of course, the Grease Man. The Grease Man was one of my heroes. John, John and Ken. Uh, it's just, I just knew this day would come at some point. Uh, Casey Kasem, of course, I listened. Tom Likas, of course. I listened to all the time. Mr. KBC, he was also Mr. KFI, he was a big role model. Tina uh, Lucido, so many throughout the years, and Steve Christie and Big Ange. I'd just like to thank them for being my role models and bring, when I was a baby DJ. And I'm hanging up the microphone now. Thank you for coming to my press conference. JT and Looney podcast episode 42 going forward. I think it's really important to stay super positive just from a sports perspective. Yeah. This past week, a couple of members of the media turned on each other hard NFL media, people wondering they were tying the Marlins outbreak to the NFL. There was a sports personality that says it looks like some people in our industry are rooting for the season to be canceled and a whole bunch of journalists popped mm-hmm. in. So earlier this week, Kyle Brandt, a member of the NFL media, put out a tweet and talked about the fact that it seemed like some individuals were almost rooting or hoping that the season wouldn't happen and other members of the media jumped on him. It was a very strong opinion from him. He's at NFL Network. He used to work on the Jim Rome show. I come from that tree. He spoke his mind, and he was attacked from all sides, from journalists and other people that really care about their issues of COVID, talking about why they should cover this story and we shouldn't be optimistic. And all week long, college football, the Marlins, NFL, here's breaking news. Uh, There's going to be a couple of announcements from individual NFL teams, not the league, individual NFL teams that they're going to have zero fans, none. So that's coming by the time you hear this podcast. So with all of this mounting, I'm trying to find the more positive nuggets, SCC, ACC. Mm -hmm. Hey, baseball, the Mariners and the Angels played an unbelievable game. No one's sick. No one tested positive. Stop focusing on the Marlins. But we can't do that now. We are living in a time where everybody's on edge, everybody's, if it bleeds, it leads, everybody's looking at COVID stats. So I just hope the message that I give in this podcast is if there's something positive in sports that you feel really good about in the next couple of days, tweet it out, pick up, a, pick up the phone and call a friend, call a family member and say, hey, did you hear the good news? We might have college football. Hey, did you hear that we might have this coming up in the fall? Let's start getting that positive energy, Tom Looney. Like we might have a Mike Tyson fight. And some people were poo-pooing that. We're starving for sports, and people are bothered by that. Boxing's always had a circus element. I'm really excited about Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Mm -hmm. Jr. I know it's just an exhibition, and it's got a circus element to it. But as you know, JT, throughout the entire history of boxing, going all the way back to the beginning of the Marquess of Queensbury rules and John L. Sullivan back in the 1800s, there's always been a circus aspect to boxing always and this is another one and it should be a lot of fun and we're not hey who knows if we'll still have baseball in the nba by the time roy jones jr and mike tyson fight in carson california in september so let's enjoy it unless one of them dies because they shouldn't be fighting in their 50s and they could have a serious injury because you're a boxing (laughs) you are a boxing aficionado and i'm laughing because you said to be positive well Young boxers, young boxers all around the world, young boxers all around the world die weekly in sparring matches and in matches in the Philippines and all different styles of mixed martial arts. And we're like, hey, why don't we get these guys in their 50s? And Mike Tyson, who someone pointed out brilliantly, whatever he's on, 
he's on something good. I mean, he can get the best HGH. He can get oh, the right. best stuff. Whatever he's on. Don't you have rejuvenation, rejuvenation clinics all over Las Vegas? All over Las Vegas. <laughs> but whatever he's on, I don't think he's going to be good after the second round or the third round. So if I'm Roy Jones Jr., I'd run like hell those first two rounds, those yep. first couple of minutes, and try to wear Mike Tyson out because Tyson looks like he could knock out a 25-year-old right now. Yeah, he does. But as you'll recall, something happened in the early 90s, and Tyson stopped fighting defensively and just started walking in and swinging. And then he started getting hit in the face. Mm -hmm. He hasn't been good since 1991. So we ha it's golden age syndrome. We were always in love in sports with an idea of something. The idea of watching Mike Tyson, the old Mike Tyson fight, is something that you and I were always waiting for the entire time. We were still on the radio in the 2000s, but he never had a good one. And his last fight, if you'll recall, was on a weeknight because it was, oh. <laughs> it, was, it was on while we were on the air. That's never a good sign. His last fight was, wasn't on a Saturday night, wasn't pay-per-view. It was sometime Monday through Friday, probably on a Friday, when you and I were on the air. So never a good thing uh, when your fights are on during the weekdays and you're a legend like Mike Tyson. And he hasn't been good in 20 years, and I love him. And Roy Jones Jr. is one of the greatest and most gifting, gifted boxers I've ever yep. seen. Yep. His footwork, the way he boxes. He'll win this easily. Easily. He should win it easily. He doesn't even he do we need to avoid Tyson in the first couple of rounds. Because, well, he's good at avoiding anyway. He's a good, great defensive fighter, and he'll be able to pepper Tyson anyway because Tyson's been leading with his face since the mid-90s. And the beautiful man Regis Philbin died at the age of 88. I'm bringing this up. We didn't plan this. Ah. But I was thinking about John Lewis. And, and to get to Regis, Regis had a big impact on my life. I don't know if it's because he was on live in New York or if I saw him out west. Who wants to be a millionaire? It was more of that talk show that he did with Kathy Lee Gifford. I'm a Frank ah. Gifford fan. And then <laughs> Kelly Ripa. And it was always on in the house. But... Man, what an impact Regis had. One of our frequent guests, uh, Jackson Murphy, Lights Camera Jackson, got to know him really well. And I reached out to our friend and I paid our condolences because he was friends with Regis. And I feel like America lost a family member in Regis who was in the Guinness Book of World Records for being on television yeah. on camera more than anyone as we do this podcast via a Zoom cast looking at each other. I told you about how I shot the the game show pilot in February mm -hmm. and how exciting that was. It was like checking off a box. Regis has always been one of my role models. And Dick Clark and uh, Ryan Seacrest. People may chuckle at that, but no. Anybody, and by the way, Frank Gifford is another one. Just hand them a microphone and they can talk. Frank Gifford was a news reporter on Channel 2 in New York in his 20s. On his, that was his other job when he wasn't playing football. He was a news reporter on the street doing real news. Uh, also, you know, with the host of Monday Night Football, did play-by-play, -play, did color commentary, hosted boxing on ABC. Frank Gifford, evil Knievel jumps, no matter what it was. Hand Frank a microphone, he can talk. Same with Ryan Seacrest, same with Regis Philbin. He did anything. You just uh, Your job is to talk. Here's a microphone. Here's the format. Let's go. I've always prided myself with that. And so he was one of my top. You know, he took his own personality, like Larry King always said, make your act yourself and yourself your act. That's what Regis did. Tremendous personality. Give him a mic, tell him the format, and he could do it. One of the things that Kathy Lee Gifford said about him as she was talking about his great life, I've never heard said before about any broadcaster. And I'm a broadcaster and I don't have this gene. I couldn't do this. She said that Regis was always the foil in his story. He would tell a story, this happened over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Me and Choi over the weekend, and we did this, and I went to the Yankee game, and I went to see Notre Dame. And it would be this story about a plane being canceled or something happened, he missed a flight. And at the end, he would always make fun of himself. <laughs> he was never making fun of someone else. Right. And we live in an era now on Twitter and social media where everybody mocks everybody Everyone's else. in high school mocking each other. Yeah, yes. everybody's a bully. And Regis, when he told this story, and I think back of all the stories that I heard Regis say, it was right. He'd sit down with Letterman. Dave, let me tell you what happened here. And the story would be about something that happened to him uh -huh. that made fun of him that got a laugh from everybody. And how cool is that? Because I can't name 
another guy or another gal in the history of broadcasting that made a name for doing that. That's beautiful. Well, but I can name somebody who was good at it and give yourself credit. If you want to go back in the hot tub time machine oh. again, the first week I worked with you, the first week, uh, <laughs> Emeka Okafor was a star in college basketball. And you went to the phone lines. You were so excited. And you said, Emeka Okafor joins us on Fox Sports Radio. And the voice on the other end of the phone said, this is Mehmet Okur. <laughs> <laughs> Who I think played for the Jazz at the time, maybe. And Omeka oh, no. Okafor was still in college. And the next day, in order to point out that you could laugh at yourself because you're so hardcore, you, you made a bit out of it and, uh, and had fun with it and let the you know production department put it all together. And that show, you were, you were doing your Regis Philbin moment. So yeah, that was the first one. That's another reason I knew I could work with you because I realized you had a sense of humor about yourself because that was a fuck up. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Regis, Regis, is, uh, Regis is, is buried at Notre Dame. Yeah. Your brother went to Notre Dame. And yep. one more shout out as we're going down this road, Lou Henson, the legendary coach of the fighting Illini basketball team, Illinois legend. My wife went to Illinois. And she went to Illinois during uh, the flying Illini, and she was there. And Lou Henson died. He was buried this week on campus wow. at the University of Illinois. And I told my wife, I, we were talking about that, and I said, Regis was buried, not in the Bronx. He's from the Bronx. <laughs> know, he was buried at Notre Dame. Well, How you cool can, is that? Well, if you had those two choices. Yeah. <laughs> To be buried in the Bronx or Notre Dame next to the grotto, you know, a beautiful you know, lawn next to you or be buried in the Bronx. Yeah. I think being that he had that choice, uh, that says a lot about his life, that he did have that choice because Notre Dame is very careful about their image over the years. And, uh, and they've been pretty good with it over the years. They haven't had any Penn State things happen there. Uh, they haven't been perfect, and, and no university has. But uh, that is pretty amazing. And my brother, uh, who I'm very proud of, having graduated from Notre Dame, uh, was very proud of the Regis Association. Too. Those Notre Dame people know everybody who graduated from Notre Dame. Just say, just say Condoleezza Rice and somebody from Notre Dame will scream, Notre Dame! That's just the way they are. They're great. JT and Looney Podcast. Episode 42. Are you recording? Like yes. You need <laughs> I don't want to miss all the good stuff like last week. Actually, right now we are 12 minutes into the podcast, and that's where I hit the record button last week. I want to begin by reminding everybody, if you have your health, if you have family, if you have friends, just relax. Just press pause. <laughs> or in my case, record. The insanity around us is at an all-time high. I'm talking all time. We are in the midst of coronavirus, 150,000 Americans dead. We have sports starting and stopping. Everybody butthurt. Everybody scared to death. Everybody concerned about their kids, their elderly mom, their job, whatever it is. So please, we care about you. Relax. If you have your health, there'll be a better tomorrow. I can promise you. Absolutely. And we always have to take a look at the glasses half full. And most of the time you're that way, especially when there's no microphones around. You are. You're always that way. And with this issue, you've been that way. And we'll band together and figure it out when it comes to our debts and our mortgages and our rent and all those things, because everybody's going through it. Even the person you pay the rent to is going through it. And so we will figure it out. And. Uh, the number one thing, of course, that's important is our health. Life is uh, a fantasy. It's a, it's a miracle. We, we have to get back to that. When you say our stress is at an all-time high, yeah, ours for our generation. But remember, as you took a tour of the beaches at Normandy because you've had an obsession with war movies all your life and with those who did such great things, and you know, when we were growing up, uh, it was, wasn't much part of us because we were too little, but there was Vietnam angst and between generations, the younger generations were against it and the older four and the music and the clothes, which generations fought over, which they don't as much this generation. So we've had to sacrifice many times by watching Netflix. We can get through it. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that because I'm not that guy right now. I'm not dialed in the way I need to be because mm -hmm. 
I'm starting to I'm starting to not unravel, but I'm starting to notice that with my wife, my kids, I'm working too much. I'm doing too much work. This isn't work. This is a podcast. Right. We have a lot of fun, but there's just not enough hours in the day for me to be working as much as I am in sports with no sports, with sports without fans. So I don't know how you do it. And the unique and the unique part of it is I'm used to I'm used to seeing an outcome. I'm used to a calendar. Okay, the NBA is over in June, right? The NBA, the NFL is opening training camp in July. I'm up in Napa in August and getting to meet free agents and new coaches. And none of that is happening. But the work is mounting and lining up. And we don't know, like, we're so scared if two members of the Blue Jays or the Philly staff test positive for coronavirus, we're canceling stuff. It's like, what the hell are we doing canceling things? First off, big topic this week is, all right, you have 17, 18 positive tests with the Marlins. With that many pause and stop, well, that affects the Yankees who are coming in next to play in that clubhouse in Philadelphia. So all this is happening around us. So, okay, we're going to hibernate and we're going to isolate the Marlins. No one else in the entire league has tested positive with the Angels, the Mariners, the Royals, the Indians. So calm down, go play those games, and then we find out about the Phillies and members of the staff, and everybody is confused What's the use of having expanded rosters and these extra pool players if you can't say, next man up, you tested positive, we love you, we care about you, stay in your hotel room, we'll send you food, we're going to the next city and we're going to play. And I, I'm not sure what's happening now because the caution is alarming to me, Tom. Yeah, and but we've got they got to try just like with anything in life. And one of the reasons why they're trying now, of course, the number one reason it's business and they don't want to lose money and successful businessmen are good at making it and not so good at losing it. And many times can come up with a creative idea on how to make it again. And that's what they're trying to do. And the the upside is we get entertained because we're all done. You know, binge watching Netflix and Sopranos or whatever we never got to see. We're done and we need sports. Uh, I do think there was a risk. And as I keep pointing out, and I especially pointed it out more when you were on vacation because you work for a team and I could be more sky is falling then Santa Claus isn't coming. I do. I do worry that none of them are going to none of the sports seasons are going to in college football, football, uh, I do think with football, maybe because they have larger rosters, maybe they'll be able to get away with more of a season. But I'm I, at least we're giving it an effort. It starts with the NBA now. And every league is giving it an effort, not only for our entertainment. Obviously, it's so they can continue to make money. Uh, and we don't have answers, but we have to try. What's happening in sports, it's very unique at the end of July, now into August, that in general, every athlete and every commissioner, when this started in March and it folded, it was the Pac-12 tournament, the NCAA tournament, college basketball. March 11th, yep. College basketball faded first. And then everybody said, okay, what are we going to do? Because we have time, we have time. Baseball, no, we have April. What are we going to do? No one thought in August of 2020 that the numbers would be spiking higher and we'd have this many hotspots. So we're going forward with the NBA in the bubble, which has been great. NASCAR continues. Dana White's been amazing. Bob Aram putting on fight cards. But here we are again now talking about the elephant in the room, football, the NFL. As we record this, John Gruden, the head coach of the Raiders, had his first Zoom press conference, number one, his first one, mm-hmm. at, at, at the facility for the Raiders and said something. I almost fell off my chair. I was on the call. He, the, they, the best player that they got from the Rams, uh, Corey Littleton, is going to be their star linebacker. And he said, I haven't even met him yet. They signed him a long time ago. Oh he hadn't God. even met him yet. He hasn't even had him on the field where he can hug him. He said he's a touchy guy. He hasn't met him yet. So Sean Payton said, now this week we're spending just taking tests and seeing who's negative so we can get him into the building. And this is happening around the entire league now 
where there's going to be no touching and no blocking and no practices and pads. Everybody's just meeting again, getting tested, told to leave the building until they have a bunch of negative tests in a row before they're allowed in with their key card and they're going to get watches that keep their distance from their teammates. Yes, and it's, well, they're going through what a lot of us are going through. We see a, a relative or a loved one we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, people from our third life for a while here in California when gyms reopen, people that uh, don't hang out with each other other than at the gym and no gym hug, touching elbows. Or we're touching elbows with our mother. And and our relatives and at uh, weddings and funerals and 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 those things are being canceled. So everybody is going through it, and I think that the NFL players, who are at least hopefully going to get to have a season, will have it better than the rest of us. They'll have some kind of camaraderie if they get through a season. But it has to suck for somebody like Gruden and Littleton, who greet who greet people with hugs and kisses to have to Zoom call each other. God. Let me ask you about the gym again, because you're a workout sure. fiend and you're a bodybuilder. When it comes to this, is this good for gyms now that they're going to be cleaner? Because my whole life going <laughs> into locker rooms and gyms, they've been Petri dishes. They've been dirty. Yeah, I belong to a really expensive gym out here in Vegas that I don't go to enough. And I look at the bill at the end of the month and I go, oh, my God, why am I paying for this? But it's spotless because they've been cleaning it more and more and more. What is the sanitary conditions like at your gym? Interesting you would say that on how, you know, it crosses your mind to cancel your gym membership. One of the things that happens when happened in L.A. when the gyms reopened is people didn't come. So I thought, oh, God, I got to get there. I'll have to go there at three or four in the afternoon since I can instead of you know six or seven at night because there'll be a line around the block, but there's been no lines. People realized they could work out without the gym or they just stopped working out, A. And B, yeah, I think it's great that they're a lot cleaner. It never mattered to me before. I grew up before they started cleaning everything anyway. And I always liked a gym that was a little bit grittier, mm -hmm. uh, but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore, not because it, it can't be. And so there was a lot of people who were cleaning up after themselves and there seemed to be an extra person or two walking around spraying and cleaning. So I was pretty satisfied with the cleanliness of the gym, something that I'm not usually a person to ask about that because I never cared about that before, but this is obviously an extenuating circumstance. And I was happy with it, but there are far more important things, especially during these trying times, things like top 10 lists. As long as I've known you, uh, you usually cheer for the bad rush and whine about the bad rush, about why they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, they are now. They are. I helped yes. them get in, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes. You, you complained about that, whined about that almost the entire time when you were on the air because it took them a long time to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And a recent list had come out of the top rock bands of all time. And Rush wasn't in the top 10 and you were upset about it. So do you have a list handy of your top 10 rock artists of all time? I have the answer. I have okay. the list right here. Okay. So these are my top 10 rock bands of all time. All right. And I included 11 because it was so close. So I understand. I had to, I had to get rid of four. Okay. So we're going to do this together. Uh, I'll go first. Yeah. I don't want to say in no particular order because my top three are in the order. Ah, so, I did the same thing. Good. Right. So from no. 11 to three. So right. uh, I have the Grateful Dead because the Grateful Dead had a massive impact on my life. The first mm -hmm. big rock festival shows I've seen, the big ones that were mind-blowing at, at my early age, 17 years old, the Grateful Dead. At number 10, The Who. Pete Townsend, okay. Roger Daltrey. I'm a big Who guy, big influence on my life. Love the Who. Still see them whenever they play. ACDC, or when Ooh. I went to Australia, and they told me on the beach in an overnight with a bunch of people at a campfire in Australia where they're from, they're not ACDC, they're Akadaka. That's what they're called. Akadaka in Australia. ACDC makes my list. Uh, also coming in my top 10 all-time, U2. Bono okay. and U2, from the first time I saw them, their first tour ever at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And I saw Bono and had that impact seeing Bono live for the first time. Uh, Led Zeppelin and the Beatles have okay. to be on everyone's list all time. How could you have a list without Led Zeppelin or the Beatles? 
I only have my one semi-modern band right here. I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. Okay. Yeah, I like Dave Sure, last. Okay. I like the band, so I'm going to put the Foo Fighters in my top 10 honorable mention 11 bands of all time. Now in the final four, a Leonard Skinner. I have to have a Southern rock band. Wow, okay. I wouldn't be on this podcast. I wouldn't be on radio <laughs> wow. if I didn't have a cowboy hat on and a jean jacket and <laughs> Leonard Skinner in the woods growing up as a kid. Love it. Uh, now my top three. Okay. At number three, I'm going to include the Eagles. Okay. Okay. One of the, the one of the largest grossing bands of all time. They're amazing. Five. They're amazing. The Eagles make it because of their complete library okay. and the impact it had on my life. At number two, I'm going to put the Rolling Stones. Okay. I met my wife at a Rolling Stones concert. If I didn't meet my wife at that concert, we'd never be here. Never have my kids. I owe everything. I repeat everything to Mick and Keith for being alive, not canceling that show. My whole entire arc of my life from my mid-20s is because of the Rolling Stones. And number one, without a drum roll, if it was, it would be with the passing of Neil Peart or Neil Peart, depending on if you're in Canada. Uh, Rush has had the biggest impact on my life. 54 concerts, 54 shows. I remember every one. And nothing, nothing in my life has given me the feeling than going in with Jimmy B or my best friends into a Rush show 10 minutes before they hit the stage, looking to make eye contact with Getty Lee, whose birthday was yesterday. That's my top 10. Wow. And as you notice, I didn't complain or complain or moan no. very much because it's art. And I always think it sounds so high school to mock what other people listen to or what art other people appreciate. The one side note before I get into my list about rushes, I never really liked girl bands like Heart. And I, always, I, I thought it was... You know how many years I just thought it was a girl singing on Rush? Sorry. But Get how many? That. <laughs> how many that. I did. Oh, I know. He's terrific. And he's he's very and he's not on my list. And he had no effect on my life. You know, and that's really important when we're putting together our top 10 list as I get to number 10. And Bruce Springsteen, The River. Bruce Springsteen's lucky he made it onto my list. I've always thought all of his music sounded like merry-go-round music, most of it. And I didn't know one song from the other, especially when you go to a concert and still until he starts singing. That's me. That's how it hits my ears. But while in college, I had a roommate who had a beautiful girlfriend. Boy, did he out outkick his coverage. But he uh, and she was beautiful and she broke up with him. Uh, and so he was so wrecked that he just listened to the album The River over and over again. And I was clueless that Bruce Springsteen was on the planet until he started playing that album over and over again. And I really took a liking to Bruce Springsteen and found an appreciation for him. A great storyteller. At number nine, Stevie Wonder. In high school, I was given an album, Songs from the Key of Life. I was clueless about Stevie Wonder pretty much before that. I, there was some hits on the radio that played, and they were great and everything. But that's what really clued me in to the genius of Stevie Wonder. And most of the most of the bands on my list here are ones that really had an impression on my life, as I noticed they were with you. At number eight, a crossover artist. Uh -oh. <laughs> It'll uh -oh. make It'll make your mother-in-law really happy. Ronnie Millsap. When I was young, a young baby DJ working on a country music radio station, I'd never heard country music in my life. And Ronnie Millsap started singing. A lot of his songs were crossover hits. It was the album Inside. And it was such a great song. He had a perfect voice. And side note, Mike Reed, former defensive lineman from Penn State and Cincinnati Bengals and an all-pro and a piano player wrote most of Ronnie Millsap's hits over the years. Judy, my mother-in-law, is loving this. Ronnie yeah. Millsap. Ronnie wow. Millsap. In your top ten. Absolutely, because the effect he had. At number seven, Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Oh, Jimmy B will love this. Oh, my He'll God. Yeah, the, the album Rust Never Sleeps was my exposure to Neil Young. Uh, my best friend growing up, Bobby, his... Uh, his brother, he had an older brother who was into cool music like uh, Todd Rundgren and Neil Young and stuff that nobody else was listening to. And that really locked me into the talent of Neil Young, whose talent and genre has really been through 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. His, his talent has lasted at number six. Oh, Van Halen. 
the out al- the, their best of album that I got when yeah. I was a kid. You really got me. Eight Van Halen. Of- Van Halen oh. should have been in my top ten. It was really close. Yeah, very close. How do you not have Van Halen? Oh. Old Van Halen, we're saying. We're not saying Sammy. Oh, no. I will tell you. No, this isn't. This is. I know this upsets people. The politically correct thing is to say that you like David Lee Roth over uh, over Sammy Hagar. 5150 was their best album. One that came out with Sammy, Sammy Hagar. One song after another is terrific and gives me great chills. And that was when I first moved to L.A. That album came out. The songs were blaring out of the radio. It reminds me of my new home, my adopted home, my forever home, Hollywood, California. I love Van Halen with Sammy Hagar. But as we've always said, you can like boxing and MMA. You can like chocolate and vanilla ice cream. You can like Van Halen with both David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar. We don't have to make a choice. I can like both. It's yeah, my you list. Can call him, it's you my can ears. call him Van Halen, yes. But you wouldn't take Journey with Arnell, who they found in the <laughs> Philippines over Steve Barry. But continue, please. I will yes. not interrupt. Okay. And I would take, if, if I were to see in concert Van Halen, I would rather hear them with Sammy Hagar. And it's my list. And it's my ears. Uh, at number five, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. One summer, my brother gave me his opal. <laughs> he had a used opal that was about 20 years old, and it had two cassettes that I listened to all summer. One was Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, and the other was the Beatles, Abbey Road. And I was unfamiliar with both Pink Floyd, and, and the Beatles at that time had no effect on my life until my brother left me with those two cassettes so pink floyd comes in at five dark side of the moon at number four as a kid going up to cuca lake in upstate new york i was 12 but i looked older and all the cool people were older <laughs> so i hung out with billy billy and bobby crocker and they had a, a speed boat with a 40 horsepower evan rude and water skied all day and i was the spotter and i said i was 15 but i was 12 so i smoked cigarettes with them all day and got to hang around the cool guys and lie about my age because i could get away with it and they turned me on to big boy music, and he gave me a couple of cassettes, one of them being Elton John's greatest hits. Oh. Oh, and that turned me on to the brilliance of Elton John. At number three, Beatles, Abbey Road album, which I mentioned, which was thanks to a cassette that my brother left in his car that he gave me one summer. And, uh, and listening to that music, well, I'm, when I may not have been sober, really changed my life. At number two, again, from Billy and Bobby Crocker, who gave me a cassette called ZZ Top Fandango. Whoa! <laughs> Turned me on to big boy music. And I love and have always loved ZZ Top. You know how, how many years it took me to realize there were just three guys in the band? It sounds like there's 12. And yeah, ZZ Top changed my life. Turned me on to big boy. Billy and Bobby Crocker turned me on to big boy music by giving me the ZZ Top Fandango cassette to borrow. And who knows if I ever gave it back. I do I do know I ended up buying the album. And at number one, no surprise, Rolling Stones. And the first album I ever had from them was Sticky Fingers. And the first concert I ever went to, Rolling Stones. If I was on a desert island, I would take Exile on Main Street. It's a double album. It's Rolling Stones. They were at their best. There was no drug testing then, thank God. Or they never would have made that album. It never would have been so great. Rolling Stones, ZZ Top, and Beatles probably would be the three albums I would take to a desert island. Uh, and uh, Abbey Road, Fandango, and Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. So Rolling Stones come in at number one. My honorable mentions were Billy Joel. An album oh. called Songs from the Attic. If there's any one, one of my album, favorites. if you ever have to get any one album from Billy Joel, get Songs from the Attic. It's his older stuff that isn't ruined by processing. It's live. ACDC, Back in Black, had an effect on me when that album came out. Terrific. Eagles, Greatest Hits Live. My aunt turned me on to the Eagles, who I just took for granted when they were mm-hmm. around. But as just you mentioned, they deserve to be in everyone's top 10 list because they've been the soundtrack of our lives. And uh, and their greatness is, and it's an insult they're not on the top 10 list, but too bad. And Led Zeppelin gets the uh, In Through the Outdoor. Their last album is the first one I ever heard. And I realized the brilliance of them. And with these, some of these bands, as you know, JT, especially Led Zeppelin, ACDC, any of these bands that we mentioned here or artists, you know who it is six seconds in. Mm-hmm. You, know, you hear the music. They're so identifiable. As I mentioned, maybe not Bruce Springsteen. It takes me a while to figure out which song it is. But for most of these artists, you know in an instant who it is. And that's usually how you've cut through the noise. 
Unbelievable list. Unbelievable list. My honorable mention, because there are two that you said to me that I cannot believe aren't on my list. Okay. Because of the impact. Billy Joel grew up in the next town over from me yeah. in Hicksville. So Billy Joel, the song track of my life is Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for I put Foo Fighters in because I wanted to be different. And it's, you don't have to be. Yeah. So I'm taking the Foo Fighters out. <laughs> I am. I'm yes, redoing like, my list. Like me put, with Bart Starr in the Hall of Fame. Okay, I get it. <laughs> and I'm putting, I'm taking the Foo Fighters out. All right. And because they don't deserve to be there over Billy Joel. So that was my mistake. And I'm evolving as a human being. I'm taking <laughs> it out. And then the other, the other name that I should have fit in, I could have fit it in anywhere, was Elton John. Because you right. mentioned Elton John and it just hit me with a wave. I'm like, oh, my God, I remember Captain Fantastic. I remember those albums in my little bedroom on Utica Avenue in Massapequa with my sisters and my grandmother and me cranking Elton John all day and all night long, along with Paul McCartney, but I included that with the Beatles. But I'll take out Foo Fighters. Thanks to you, I'll put in Billy Joel. And your list is mind-blowing, man. That is a great list that you have. Thank you. Thank you. I have the pleasure to present to this... Great audience, young John Lewis, national chairman, student nonviolent coordinating committee, brother John Lewis. John Lewis died. Yeah. A civil rights warrior and legend who you know, spent his life trying to help others and fight for civil rights and to fight for freedoms for African-Americans, all minorities, was one of the great human beings to ever live. The video of him getting beat down by police in Selma at the bridge and then the carriage taking his casket over the bridge. Over that bridge. Selma with the carriage rider and the one horse brought me to tears because politically, I'm not getting, we don't get into politics on this, but... It was one of the most powerful visions I've ever seen on television. The video of John Lewis on the ground with a cop with a baton beating him and making contact. And then the split screen had the carriage going over that same bridge, which they haven't touched. They haven't modernized that bridge, which is beautiful because it should show that history. Before we get to Herman Cain, I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask you your opinion about what you thought about the passing of John Lewis and what he meant to this country. We were always really good on the show, tiptoeing around politics. We probably, we figured that people wanted it separated long before that became an issue. And, but we, we didn't tip ever tiptoe around civil rights. I remember the first week I worked with you, the, I was so excited because I realized we could work together when Paul Horning, had said we used to go to you know Notre Dame Heisman Trophy winner and legend talked about how Notre Dame needed to lower their standards and get more black athletes. Well, the way he phrased it was indelicate, like old people sometimes do when talking about racial issues. And you opened up the mic and said, "I'm a white guy hosting a sports talk radio show, so my word on this." doesn't really have as much gravitas. And I said, okay, I can work with this guy because no, we haven't done a lot of uh, political talk over the years together, but we've always never hesitated on doing civil rights talk because you and I were both brought up with the same attitudes about civil rights and color and orientation or whatever came along while we were talk show hosts, we were usually in agreement on those issues. And it's guys like him. You know, civil rights work is difficult work. Most people like to roll out of bed and just be a person. Mm-hmm. Women don't roll out of bed and want to be a civil rights worker uh, or a voting rights person and get eggs thrown at them. And uh, and black people don't want to roll out of work and be black Mike. They just want to be Mike. Uh, and gay people don't want to run and roll out of bed and be gay Jim. They just want to be Jim or Billy. And same thing with... Um, with civil rights leaders, they would, they did, they took the, I mean, the opposite thing with civil rights leaders, they took the, the hard road. The hard road is to take a stand and say things aren't right. And people with things like civil rights will throw eggs at you or beat you over the head, as you saw in the videos of Congressman Lewis. 
uh, if you take a stand that we are all equal, it's in the Constitution. And they took a stand. Hey, we got to got to live up to our Constitution. And people said, no, we don't. You know, so in this country, as we found out through COVID-19, we, we can find a yin and a yang with any subject. And for some unfortunate reason, people did then. And uh, our, we have always both agreed that our birthmark of this country is slavery. And we're still getting over those wounds. And then it was Jim Crow. And he got us through that and got those signs taken down. He didn't change throughout the years. He never gave up the fight. And he went on to be a great leader and congressman after that and never gave up the fight. His death is sad, but it's wonderful that so many young people this week got to learn all about him. In 1965, the year I was born, and I think this has had a big impact on me, Lewis led the first of three Selma to Montgomery marches across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Uh, in an incident which is still called and should will always be called Bloody Sunday, state troopers and police then attacked the marchers, including Lewis. And I think it's a really important moment in the history of this country. So when a politician dies, a lot of politicians have an impact locally in their community. They have an impact because they do something on a national level. But this is a gentleman who passed away. And in the last couple of years, he's been very involved in vocal politics. Look mm -hmm. at the world we're living in. But I wanted to make sure we got him in the podcast today because it's really important. The impact that his passing had and that scene with the carriage going over the bridge really had an impact on me this week, Tom. Well, and it's difficult work, as I mentioned, to roll out of bed and just say, I'm for peace, you know, and they'll put you in jail. They put Gandhi in jail. <laughs> you know, just to, if you roll out of bed and say, peace, love, togetherness, no violence, somebody will find some other side of that argument or a reason to throw an egg at you. And yeah, he led a really incredible life. And I'm so glad, especially this past week, that people got to learn about it. Herman Cain died at the age of 74. He was a presidential candidate. But the reason I bring up his name is he was one of the sharpest men that I could remember. And it's another example of someone who decided to get into politics yeah. to help others who probably didn't need to do that because his legacy was already so strong. Former CEO of the Godfather pizza chain, a Republican politician, an economic advisor to Bob Dole back in the day. But I remember him more when he came on the scene. And I wanted to mention him also because it was very sad to see how quickly he went to a rally, ended up catching COVID. He's a guy who knows every doctor in the world. Dr. Fauci's his friend, and his life couldn't be saved. He was a person that shouldn't have been there. He had pre-existing conditions, mm -hmm. and he had a liver transplant. Anybody, I have a friend who's had a liver tr transplant, and they've had him in a bubble since, since March. Very successful CEO, a big premier guy over the years, and he uh, he has been living in a bubble in Dallas since this happened, and when Texas's numbers rose, he got in a car alone and with his son following behind him and drove to Los Angeles because the numbers were lower at the time in Los Angeles. But anybody, he had, uh, anybody that has any type of transplant, and we talked about this when Sean Elliott went through it and Alonzo Mourning, when you have an organ transplant of any kind, you're not allowed to have a strong, it sounds counterintuitive, you're not allowed to have a strong immune system because if you have a healthy immune system, your body will say, hey, this isn't your liver. Hey, this isn't your kidney. And so if you have a so you have to take drugs to repress your immune system and it makes you more vulnerable to things like a simple cold, let alone COVID-19. So he wanted to get out. He was politically active. And uh, and you don't you understand people want to get out of the house. But uh, it's unfortunate because, as I say, you know, my my friend's father died at 93 of COVID-19 and he might have lived to 100. I'll take 100. Thank you. Who cares how old people are that are dying? If they're dying before they should, we got to do something about it. <laughs> Uh, breaking news on the podcast, the yes. SEC will play a 10-game conference-only schedule this upcoming football season, and the season will start September 26th with a conference championship game set for December 19th. The Big 12, Oklahoma, where my son goes, they're going to start early in August. They want to get ahead of their schedule, and we know that the ACC 
reported earlier this week that they're bringing Notre Dame in for one year, and the ACC is going to play a full conference schedule with Notre Dame. So I think that's pretty positive as we talk about the Blue Jays and the Phillies and the Marlins, that no matter what happens, that college football, the big boys, the powerhouses, are saying, we're going. We don't know about fans yet, but here's our schedule, conference games. I'm really excited about this. Well, there's, and I am too if it happens, but you said no matter what, no matter what they're saying, they're going. That's, what I worry about is boys. Uh, you have two. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were two in our house growing up. Uh, my brother was clean. I wasn't. And I lived in a dorm. You lived in a frat house. I don't know if there's any difference between those two Petri dishes. (laughs) But uh, the thing I worry about with college athletes and young guys who don't make their bed or clean up after themselves is if they can all fall and who really uh, are have uh, are, are very healthy. And when it comes to the kissing department, if they can be disciplined enough to get through an NFL or to get through a college football season without infecting themselves or each other. And I'm not saying it in any type of judgmental way, just based on chronology. They're young and they're more likely to slip up. I'm just hoping that everybody who goes back to school, what a debate this week with Betsy Voss. Yes. yes. Individuals about sending kids back to school or not. So I have a senior in high school who goes to a private Catholic school and private schools tend to go forward. Hey, we're going to do this public schools or not. Uh, The debate comes down to this for me. Here's what the debate comes down to that. Most teachers are older. You know, most teachers. Thank you for mentioning the teachers. My mother's a teacher. You can't have school without teachers. My wife's a teacher. You can't do it. Yeah. So if you're going to let teachers go into school, you got to protect the teachers And I'm all for that. Kids need school because this homeschooling is not going to work. I don't care what people say. It's the minimalization of education. It will barely work. And there's a lot of kids that need to go to school because that's where they eat food. That's where they get their only meals of the day. And their parents have to go work during COVID and they need the help of daycare. So when it comes down to this, Tom, I'm going to lean with this. I know it's dangerous and I'm not an expert but I am going to the argument that we need to open up our schools. We need to do it. We need to let teachers opt out. We need to bring in younger teachers if we have to do that. And we need to tell the teachers that are elderly or that have prior conditions that we honor that. You can opt out. If you'd like to teach from home, we'll give you that option. But we got to get these schools open because these kids can't lose two years a year and a half or maybe two years of their education, especially from the age of six, seven years old, all the way through high school. I'm, yeah, but I'm it, firm on that. Yeah. I, I think that if you miss ninth grade and you have to start it again the next year, well, you know, there's no, there's no set schedule for how you go through life and where you should be when you're 15, 18. And I do know they try to set schools up to open kids' minds up to changing classes and to new students and to different things progressively throughout the course of their education. There's a method to the madness. But also, kids progress at different levels. Ask ask Justin Bieber's parents, who had a Mozart, who was famous by the time he was 10, and then people who have normal kids who are playing with toys when they're 10 and not hosting TV shows. Most kids are playing with Xbox when they're 16, not hosting Saturday Night Live. But so kids progress at different rates. Look, LeBron James, look at the way he progressed. Normal kids have no idea what they want to do with their lives until they're 30. Look what LeBron James had done by 30. So it's just one of those. uh, Here's what I worry about, too, when you say teachers have the options. The, the ability to opt out. Sometimes schools don't have the ability to let a teacher opt out because maybe there's, I went to a smaller Catholic school. Sister Carmela was teaching biology. She was 90. Uh, I had a teacher that taught my mother and my aunt. Uh, we had, and that happens a lot in Catholic schools. You have older teachers who taught your parents and sometimes your great aunt or your great uncle. And there's some of them are still there. They taught me. Mm-hmm. And it also taught my mother. So 
some schools are full of older people. The old lady in the cafeteria who gave you the ziti, right? <laughs> that was oh, the same lady. God, did you nail that? <laughs> that same piece of pizza, that yes. cardboard oh. pizza. That yes, just the only pizza I couldn't eat. The, uh, I love pizza, and boy, did it look good in high school, right? But made with government cheese, I was told. I don't even know what government cheese is to this day, but that's what they made it with. I'm told, and it tasted like it, didn't it? Ugh. But there were some old people back there uh, in the cafeteria working in high school. So we are saying, what about the children? What about the children? But again, the COVID-19 really comes to what about the old people? And that's who we have to keep an eye out. There's no yeah, they, schedule for where we should be at any age. JT, I think we need to take a deep breath with the schools. I agree. But we, as we always say, we dip the podcast in the reality uh-huh. and, we're, and we're recording the podcast now, okay. the July. <laughs> yes, so we yes. have to have opinions on this. So I can't say, ask me in three months. Yeah. The people are downloading the podcast <laughs> weekly on the Believe Podcast Network. They want fresh content. Braun, Braun wants fresh content. Yes. He might be listening in the middle of this. And I'll right. say this again, that we have to make decisions now. We have to isolate we have to remove the people that test positive. Same thing, nursing homes in the beginning mm-hmm. was a disaster. We brought people who were ill into nursing homes and it wiped out nursing homes. Now when we have students or teachers who test positive with tracing, we have to isolate them, get them out of the schools, but continue on. We have to find Blue Jays and Phillies or Eagles and Seahawks. When they test positive, we take them out we isolate them and move on. What in God's name is going on with this country that we can't follow the protocols of people testing positive, remove them, let them get healthy, and we continue going forward? I don't understand this. In my hometown, Elmira, New York, population approximately 32,000, they've had one COVID-19 death. Here's the great reason. If you walk into Rite Aid or CVS or Walgreens in downtown Elmira, you're the only one in there. So by people wearing masks and having and by nature, having it be a smaller city where you're always six feet or 600 feet away from the next person and there's nobody else in Rite Aid, then people aren't getting it. My mother had a fever a couple of weeks ago and she was taken to the hospital. She ended up spending the night in ICU. She didn't have COVID-19, thank God, probably would have killed her. But there was, you know, how many other people were in ICU that night? None. (laughs) There was just one. So. Uh, so that's, so in small towns, a lot of times they're able to keep the numbers down because by social distancing, they're a lot further, you know, they don't have to worry about being six feet away from each other. There's not as many people and keeping their face covered. So if we can just put politics aside, how are small towns doing it? Staying away from each other. We got to do it. Unfortunately, we have to, we have to make tough decisions going forward. So we got a lot of that out of the way. College football coming back. Baseball, the subject. Yes, on the subject. I've been dying to ask you. You've been hosting a sports talk radio show since March 11th when all the sports crashed and burned and canceled. How's it been hosting a spot? Because I know you're a person who's always been interested in everything. I was Mr. Pop Culture, but whatever story I brought up, you almost already had an opinion on the subject because you knew what was going on. So with health and politics and pop culture, you're always paying attention to it. I guess that's helped you since March. Yeah, I, I, I guess right in the beginning, I knew that our experience, our experience of working together and doing this for almost 25 years, mm-hmm. I knew because this was such a uncomfortable story. I thought we'd be really good at it. And on the Mm -hmm. radio for me, I thought I'd be great at it only because I have the experience of putting together broadcast after broadcast. I felt like this was a breaking news story every day. The NFL, breaking news every day. The NBA in a bubble. How are we going to get baseball to start? So I kind of swiveled over to let's cover it like breaking news. Let's interview more people longer not for laziness. Let's have longer conversations with newsmakers who can tell us what they're going through. And then if we came out on the other side, which we're obviously not, or multiple sports are going to start at the same time, which is happening now, that I'd be equipped to handle all this. So never once, and I said this on an earlier podcast four or five ago, never once have I asked for any pat on the back, sympathy. Hey, man, what's it like? I, I got a lot of that, mostly in April and May. How are you going to do it? How are you going to get through this without sports? And I said, it's easier because the stories are more historic, more important, 
I'm working on a side project where I'm chronicling every day. I'm, I'm, I'm chronicling everyone I'm talking to uh-huh. every day, what's happening for a project down the road. So for me, it hasn't been tough at all, but I think it's been tough on the audience because the audience, we're dealing with people, my audience should be growing exponentially. And what's mm-hmm. happening is when you tell fans that they can't go to games, I still don't have an answer to know the passion of the fan now. The fan who doesn't come out of Dodger Stadium at 11 o'clock after Justin Turner walked off is not going to call me with that tone in his voice. JT, you won't believe it. I'm in the parking lot. Justin Turner just won a game. Yeah. Now I got fans who are turning off games when it's 7-2 to two because they have no interest staying in that game because there's no energy in the ballpark. You said that you've been working really hard, but you haven't complained about it out loud. Um, but, but on Twitter, you have. On Twitter, you, yeah. you, you, know, you said you haven't been asking for pats on the back. Uh, no, not here on podcast, but I've seen you on Twitter patting yourself <laughs> on the back. <laughs> oh, for showing up? Yeah, for, for showing for up from work. For, well, what I'm doing now, which is a little bit different, and thanks for calling me out. You're the only guy who can do it. No, it doesn't enrage me. I don't turn red when you do no, it. No, this is your Regis moment. You can make yeah, fun of yourself. I'll, I'll rip on me again. <laughs> Uh, what what's interesting now is I'm at that point where I want to compare everything to the frontline worker who doesn't complain, the nurse right. and the doctor. I live uh, three miles away from Summerlin Hospital, which is a big hospital in my community. And every day, nurses and doctors pull up to that hospital. They don't have a private valet, right? They don't have right. someone where they give their card to and a limousine takes them to work. They park their vehicle. And then while they're outside their car... They put on a gown and a face shield and they go to work and there's no television cameras and there's no one with microphones interviewing them. And they go to work knowing that they're going into a hot spot, a hospital where people do have COVID and and some people are going to come in today with those symptoms and they never complain. But over the last two weeks, I'm dealing with this new term in sports, opting out. Oh, right. Six, Six Patriots have opted out. Okay. Six, six teams have multiple players in the NFL that have opted out of the season. Now, most of them have really good reasons. They've been sick in the past, like Nate Solder, who had cancer, or they have a diabetic mother, or they have a newborn or a wife who's pregnant. And all they got to do is raise their hand and they'll get $350,000 if they have a prior condition, or if they just want to opt out on their own, they'll get $150,000 to walk away, but that doctor and nurse I'm talking about, or the janitor, Tom, at the hospital, they don't get 150000 to opt out. At 104.7 Hit Radio KFM in Syracuse, New York, if we go back into the hot tub time machine to an unnamed year, <laughs> when I did Morning Drive in Syracuse, and I, I used to push and pull. Remember the movie Private Parts and Howard Stern had pig vomit? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I used to push and pull with this guy who, by the way, gave me a lot of great advice, but at the time I was young and cocky and didn't listen. Stereo Steve, who also told me that I had an annoying Love voice. Name. I have a stereo. Yes. We have Radio Bill. You have a stereo oh, Steve. Yes. I love that. Who also told me, by the way, he also, even though he did give me a lot of great advice, he did say, your voice is annoying. You'll never make any money in voiceovers or doing commercials. How about that? So uh, that was a nice chip on the shoulder that drove me. And I know he likes sports, so he had to listen to me all those years at Best Town. But nevertheless, at 104.7 Hit Radio KFM, one morning I had an argument with Stereo Steve. And I said, you know, I've been doing morning drive for two years. Starts at 530 in the morning. I've never been late a minute for work. And he looked at me and said, you're not supposed to be. <laughs> and I, at 23 years old, had no response to that because I was bragging about something stupid that I was showing up for work on time. And I was very proud of it. But you're right. Uh, a lot of times people who don't uh, work on the front lines, nurses and doctors, uh, people don't have any right many times to complain about showing up for work or brag about showing up for work. Yeah, I don't know of a time uh, dating back to 9-11 where it was more more or less firefighters and cops that had to go into the rubble, had to go in to the asbestos, had to go into the smoke. I don't recall a time in my lifetime where every day with no end in sight, these frontline workers have to continue to go into harm's way why I, a sports talk radio host, have to report on players opting out who are millionaires who are in a much less dangerous space. It means dangerous if you get COVID and you're a 340-pound football player. Right. You can die. I'm not making light of it, but you're nowhere near 
you're nowhere near as vulnerable as a frontline person. So that's one of the things that has bothered me, Tom, and I think is wearing on me and probably beating me down and not making me, not probably making me pleasant around my wife. Well, you're a social person. You're a social person. You would have visited, talked to, had a drink with, hugged uh, 8,000 people since March that you didn't get to. You know, yeah, I mean, maybe absolutely. that number is exaggerated, but I bet a thousand would be the number because you go to Napa, you go to tournaments, you go to you know, parties with friends. You would have seen your parent. You would have hugged your parents. So uh, and another thing you mentioned there about frontline workers, people we never thought of as frontline workers, like people who work at the grocery store, you know, uh, young people. We always thought of those as startup jobs in America and people who work at fast food restaurants now. They're part of the front line. They've got to go to work and keep us fed. And they have to deal with a lot of people every day and touch and stuff. And so it has us, has us reevaluating in America, too, what jobs we value. And uh, right now, in addition to glorifying the nurses and the doctors, we need to we need to throw some love to people who are working at the supermarket day in and day out with all of us coming in and some of us complaining about having to wear a mask. Well, they have to deal with us all day in normal circumstances. Dealing with us all day isn't easy. Now they have to worry about which one of us is going to make them sick. And thank you for putting up with us. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.